Okay, Jim, welcome to the En-ROADS podcast. Thank you. Sir. We are here today with Jim Landre. Jim is the Chief Operating Officer for Dream Factory. He has been there for 20 years, yeah. since the beginning. 23 years. 23 years. Oh my gosh. 23 years. Time flies. We don't count COVID years, do we? So it would be 20 years. It would be case. 20 years if we minus the COVID part. Yeah, yeah. I like that too. Yeah, yeah. That's good. So talk to us about your leadership journey. I'm sure you've seen the company go through a lot, but you personally must yeah. have go gone through and grown through 23 years of leadership and with the team the executive team there too. So tell us about that. Yeah, I think the, the the biggest thing from an agency standpoint, at least for leadership, is that you have to figure out with each client how best to make your team meld with their team. That's like the hardest part. Mm -hmm. um, the the internal dynamics I think are, are fairly straightforward. You know, you make sure you enable people, give them the proper you know insights, training, feedback, all that kind of stuff. Usually, it's more about internal meetings being uh, to the point and and not so tangential and, and yeah. long winded. But I, I would say that especially. When it comes to like working with clients and making sure you have the the proper limits of authority when it comes to posting things for them, for example, okay. or when you're developing strategies, making sure you're including everybody that needs to be at the table. Mm -hmm. Those are critical things. And obviously making sure that you assert where you need to the proper, you know, you need to stop here. This is good enough. Let's get going and start A-B testing. Yeah. A lot of times people try to get things perfect from the very, very beginning, but most of the times, especially in what we do, getting close to the exact right in yeah. the beginning is good enough to get things going, getting results. And then you kind of, you know, get it even more honed in from there. So, and, and your business is a value creator, value generator, value mm -hmm. add business. Correct. So tell us a little bit specifically what Dream Factory does and about sure. some of your customers and clients. Yeah, so we, we focus on business to business companies, typically in the industrial sectors, manufacturing, okay. uh, power, plastics, different places like that. And what our main goal is, is to create areas in which we create like high value leads. Okay. So it's not shotgun approach. Typically it's a very sniper approach. So what we do is we'll create automations, we'll create mm. integrations with with native systems. So we're solution agnostic. So we don't go in there and say you need to change to what we know. Mm. You know, we're not like a fill in the blank market automation agency or whatever. We we really do focus on making things work with what people have and what they're used to. Okay. Because from an HR standpoint is you know, the really hard part is to train people and get them proficient. And if a team that you walk into with 20, 30 people is really good at a certain ERP solution or a certain automation solution or a, a certain CRM, yeah. the worst thing you can do is to tell them that you need to change everything before you can get any kind of results for them. Right. So especially when you're talking about highly technical companies that mm -hmm. typically take a little bit of customization to their, pro yeah. their integrations, you don't need to sit there and tell them to change everything right up front. You just need to get them to the point where they're making better decisions and, and targeting better quality of, of yeah. prospect. Did you, when you were growing up, always know that this is where you were going to head, where oh, no. you were going to be? No, no, no idea. What if you were driving in a car <laughs> and you had your five-year-old self in the back seat? Sure. What would be your five-year-old self be most surprised by? Probably the fact that it's not really work. Like when you're young, you always think that when you see your parents going off to work, that yeah. they have to really like, a lot of times, like my parents didn't come back home upset. Uh, both my parents started out as teachers and they loved their jobs. Yeah. Uh, my dad moved up into administration and he loved that too. And the fact is like when you, when you see positive examples, I think growing up, you want to make sure that you at the very least match that level of enthusiasm mm -hmm. in your career. And I think even at a young age, even at age five, I knew my parents were doing good things and that they love what they did. Yeah. And so 
growing up, I wanted to make sure I kind of matched that in the sense that I was going to a place that I liked to go to, mm -hmm. that I enjoyed what I did, and that I, I did something that was fulfilling and also helped other people. So yeah. this checks all the boxes for sure. And so I imagine being at the very, very forefront of developing your team culture. Yeah. You wanted to infuse that across the team and the dynamics. So how the team works together and the type of environment that you created. I, I think, too, on the, on the front end, it's initial interview and impression is so important to us. You have to find people who, who want to learn, mm -hmm. first and foremost. But more importantly, have a, a good core. You know, that they really, when they get into a room with a client, you can trust them to have the mm -hmm. right instincts to, mm -hmm. to see through you know, just maybe what someone's saying, what they want you to think, but you can sure. see what the, maybe what the behind the scenes is right away. It just, it makes such a huge difference when you have people who are just highly intelligent and really know um, just in, in kind of intuitively yeah. what's happening. They have that emotional intelligence, agility in that way. Exactly. And they're able to make those judgment calls and those decisions in a way that, like you said, it's an extension of trust that you have in them. Mm -hmm. It's not just an extension of the brand. Right. It's an extension of who you are. It is part, it's a huge part of it is the trust, right? Yeah. So when you have team members that walk into a client meeting and they meet a client for the first time, you know, typically a president of a company is dealing with hundreds of people on a daily basis, yeah. right? It's production, it's HR, it's, you know, yep. the, the people in the accounting department. And they all have kind of their own little universes, their own little, you know, things to manage. But at the end of the day, what the people at the top of companies really care about is that they can trust that their vision is being mm. carried forward through everything that is, that's happening. Yeah. And so if your people are able to connect with that level and create trust relationships, it, it solidifies a lot of things for clients for us. Yeah. So that that's really interesting because what I'm seeing and what I know that you've implemented, which I want to hear more about, but there's this trust factor, but there's this new wave mm -hmm. of artificial intelligence that's coming to be, right? Right. And so I think about where do trust factors, as, does it make it stronger? Does it make it more risky? So you're talking about the trust factor in a team, yeah. watching the way AI is impacting what people's work looks like and the trust within the company or with the information. So tell us a little bit about what Dream Factory is doing with AI. Okay, so this is obviously a relatively new thing and a ton of companies are pushing forward at breakneck speed and just you know implementing everything they possibly can. I think the, the critical part for us is to uh, not lose the humanity of what mm -hmm. we do from a, a brand and from a, a marketing standpoint. I, I would say give you a small example that kind of illustrates the larger point. So we have um, a team of writers and our uh, current lead writer, he does a really good job of taking a, a, an idea and going in and leveraging AI to get a lot of the core components mm -hmm. and structure done and then putting finishing touches on things. So. It's not replacing our lead writer. What it's doing, it's allowing him to basically supercharge his time. So what you have to worry about, circling mm -hmm. back to the client trust issue, is that when a client gets something that's been properly QA'd, because you know how you, it's so easy to break trust, right? Yeah. So if you were to submit something that was just purely AI to a client that you have a relationship with. It makes me nervous just even hearing about it. Right. Because what's the what's the big thing right now? Oh, AI lies sometimes. Uh -huh. It just makes stuff up. And so if you don't properly QA things, if you don't properly look through it and, and check everything and, and double check, you can end up submitting something that maybe isn't quite accurate. Yeah. And then you're like, well, wait a minute. What's the client going to think of us now? Like we're, that we're mailing it right. in, right? Yeah. So at the end of the day, you have to make sure that your people have the proper training on the tools mm. before you put them into full production. Okay. Because they really aren't ready for prime time in a lot of applications. But yeah. again, in terms of like taking big data and, and 
parsing it out into usable statistics that you can actually throw into stuff. That's good use of AI. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, what our people are, are what we're trading our people on and also our, our uh, clients on is where it's really applicable and can save them time and money. And more importantly, where we can scale things faster. Okay. So uh, campaign analysis, A-B testing, mm. things like that. AI is wonderful for that stuff. In fact, Google has a lot of kind of native programs that they've been for machine learning, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is also in many ways kind of synonymous for people in the in most markets. They really can't see the difference between the two. Yeah. And we don't really go on that because it's a long-winded thing, but <laughs> uh, not to get too nerdy. No, you're but fine. at the end of the day, what we care about is making sure that we give people better results. And as long as AI is doing that, mm -hmm. then... And, and it's fully disclosed so everyone knows kind of where we're using it, sure. then I think it's wonderful. So you're seeing from from what I'm hearing you share, you're seeing an uptick in productivity and the ability to get more work done faster because of the processes and the decisions that you're able to make utilizing the systems. Correct. It, without bias. So the, the biggest issue is like mm -hmm. a lot of times humans will come in and I'll give you, one. this is the classic thing. So you'll run a campaign, you'll have a landing page, right? And you, the landing page will talk about all the things, same things the ads did, right? And then you'll make this beautiful landing page, great graphics, the whole thing. And then you'll A-B test it against a boxy, kind of looks like a, you know, first year graphics student put mm -hmm. it together with a lot of very sharp corners and basic text. Yeah. And then you look at the performance. And invariably, the one that looks the worst performs the best. And it just drives you crazy. Yeah. And you're like, why is this, like, why do we put all this time into making things look great sometimes on yeah. landing pages when... The one that actually converts the highest level and at the end actually converts more clients is the one that looks, hmm. you know, poor. It's the weirdest thing in the world. But again, AI will look at that and will say, this one's better. And at the end of the day, what are you trying to, what are you really paid to do? You're paid to right. produce. And on the front end, it doesn't mean that you have to make your brand, your main websites, your main core stuff look like it's made by a first year graphic yeah, student. Yeah. But at the end of the day, when you're talking about very focused campaigns and you get, you know, five, six, seven steps down the line, yeah. sometimes, you know, making things just work is a better choice. So even coming in with a 23-year reputation, you having all of the experience with some pretty heavy hitting logos, right? Right. You come in, you would normally guide and advise. You would say this is based on our expertise, experience, all the things that we've right. seen in the world. That is still subjective. Yeah. The AI helps the decisions happen faster because it's adding a layer of objectivity to it Correct. that either supports and underscores what you are suggesting or provides a new avenue that they may not have thought of yet, right? And so... Exactly right. And a lot of times, this is a really key important point. Like As a marketing agency, when you're hired on, especially in the front end, like the first mm -hmm. six months of a relationship, you have a tendency, it's just human nature, to try and please mm -hmm. uh, clients, right? Mm -hmm. But you have to have... In every single case, honesty, when it comes to if a bad idea comes to the forefront, you're able to test it and mm. say it's a bad idea. No matter how much the native bias is within the company, mm -hmm. you have to tell them not to go that direction. Yeah. And AI gives us more data, more processing capability to, to prove mm -hmm. what is right and what's best. So it seems like it can be applied in many aspects. So this is one sure. one way to create lift in a role where you have time to generate revenue that's reduced. So obviously you mm -hmm. can either become more profitable or work faster. Right. Um, maybe your employee count might change based mm -hmm. on how you're able to layer in the AI involvement. Where else in the organization from a, a human capital standpoint would you see AI being beneficial? From our business model standpoint, I would say the easiest thing is from a freelancer standpoint, mm -hmm. because we have a ton of specialists that we work with okay. that are, they'll come in, you know, here and there in little small bits because they're really good at a very concentrated area of expertise. 
But at the end of the day, the AI for us, yeah. it comes down to, does it allow us to get higher quality product? Mm -hmm. And does it allow us to shorten the distance between the identification of the need mm -hmm. and the delivery of the solution? Mm -hmm. So if those things are able to be done and we can do that through in-house or a lot of times through somebody who we can, you know, li you know, license on for a project yeah. or something, then it makes things so much easier. And at the end of the day, too, it's all about, again, not being biased towards one or another solution. Right. So you have this thought, like, I will tell you, if if I went back in time, like 15 years and told Jim, you need to really look at changing your process, you know, I would listen to myself because I have the I'm coming from having gone through it already. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. Well, if AI is able to do. 50, 60, 100, 1,000 different models of something, right? Before yep. you make a decision, yep. then you should probably trust that good, as long as good, good data is going in, yeah. you're going to get a good recommendation for what to do. Do you feel like it gives you a competitive advantage from your c customer standpoint to, to have this layered in? For sure. So especially because a lot of our customers are highly technical companies. Okay. Mm -hmm. They, and a lot of them are dealing with native kind of like old school tech mm -hmm. and Utilizing AI from their perspective means something different than it does from like an agency's perspective, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you're dealing with how to best manufacture a piece of, of plastic into a part, or you're looking at the best way to optimize a turbine, mm -hmm. you know, you're, if, if the program that you're using now says it has AI on it, yeah, right, you're still going to have something at the end where you hit a button and it tells you what to do a little bit differently, maybe. Sure. But at the end of the day, it's kind of it's kind of uh, not something that you're engineering, you're changing. It's still the same process, the sure. same system, right? From our thing, it's more of a human to human thing where you're trying to say, okay, writer, okay, uh, campaign designer, you know, leverage this new technology. Now you're changing entire processes in between, right? Yeah. From the point of like a client call or an email to an actual deliverable that's reviewed. So it's way different mm -hmm. for us than it is for a lot of places. I think most companies that we deal with as clients, they're going to have AI built into things where it's almost like they will have very little input into mm -hmm. how the data is being processed behind the scenes because that's going to be more of like an OEM yeah. level integration. So w what's interesting, your example about the manufacturing versus what you do, I envision a lot of what you do to be creative. Right. The manufacturing is very linear. That's a linear example, which I can see it applying there. It seems like what when you're taking something that's more creative, there's judgment calls to it. There's, there's, that, there's that own personal input to the product outcome. So I'm thinking, so for example, Carolyn Executive Solutions, we will look and assess a deal. And if it's either M&A or a company is looking to raise capital or an investor is looking to put capital into an organization, it's a judgment decision. And the AI aspect of that decision can help accelerate that decision, right? right? It can help ensure that there is not as much subjectivity to the decision so that you're not arguing as much or debating about around the deal table. Removing biases, right? But I think if I'm if I'm putting myself in an investor's shoes, it is a judgment call and I have to feel extremely secure with that judgment call. And that the adaptation to believing in AI and validating trusting the reliability of it, mm -hmm. it's it's interesting because the creative piece of what you're saying is it still works. It does. And the crazy thing is a lot of times intuition comes into play yeah. and is supercharged by AI instead of being replaced by AI right ah. now. So that's the big, big difference. Okay. And I would say on the M&A side, especially like if you're looking at um, some sort of new acquisition yeah. with publicly available data, I can see where the high end level on that mm -hmm. would be able to integrate AI and get historical data from all the different SEC filings in the past and yeah. say, 
what have been the common things we look for in a successful potential acquisition. Mm -hmm. And that to me is going to be a really interesting application of big data and AI in the near future, because that's where, like you say, when you're trying to pull the trigger on an acquisition or a merger, you don't, you want to take out any possible risk. Mm -hmm. So if you can risk mitigate by hitting a button and having the magic M&A AI come out with the, well, here's, this is not matching on these three keys. If you can mitigate these three things, then we can rerun the scenario and see if it's more advantageous. Sure. And in, in some of those cases, those things are going to be, you know, like you say, it's usually replacement of people, right? So you get like there's two accounting firms. Well, what do you do? You only have one accounting firm at the end of the day, right? Yeah. So you can save money there. But on the people side, you can see very quickly with like, okay, we had more people in this department versus mm-hmm. less people in this department with other similar acquisitions. So I, I think that a lot of this is going to come down to big data we've, we've had for a long time being utilized in a more effective manner. Yeah. I think that's going to be a big thing. I think that's where we get a huge benefit because there's so much turnover in campaign design. We're True. always okay. doing mm-hmm. changes mm-hmm. all the time trying mm-hmm. to improve things, you know? And it doesn't matter what type of outlet. It could be anything, mass communication media, digital mm-hmm. media, it doesn't matter. We're always trying to improve. And so mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you if, if we miss... It won't be based upon data and AI. It'll be based upon just the fact that sometimes things don't don't hit. So you maybe still aim small, miss small. Right? Yeah. So at the end of the day, you want to try some things to make sure you get a better result all the time. How do your employees feel about the utilization of AI? Do they feel like it's a threat or a concern to them? It's kind of interesting. So my initial thought when I first saw a couple of different AI programs that we use was, wow, this will allow us to do way more work, a lot more effectively have more work come out of the same billable hour, okay, right? And we'll be able to produce uh, better results for our clients. When I took that perception to a few of our team members, they it went one, in one ear and out the other wow. because there is kind of an initial like shock and awe yeah. to some of, these, some of these softwares. But once you realize that as an agency, you're always looking to grow. You're always trying to find a way to, to, to gain more billable hours and get, more, get many more clients. And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to find a way to create value. And if you can create value through, instead of having, let's say, five blogs per month being mm-hmm. produced for someone, now they can get 50, you can dominate with that technology. Mm-hmm. And so I don't see why that would ever be a problem from, sure. a, from an owner of an agency standpoint. Yeah. But I can see where if you're a writer, you would worry, you know, but at the same time, that increases their value because if they're really, really good at leveraging the AI, yeah. they can become more of like the hub on, in a wheel versus a spoke. And so that's where I think the changing of the perception yeah. allows a lot of people who really understand the stuff and have talent for for writing as a specific example. Yeah. This could be a, a huge plus to their to their professional lives. I almost wonder if it takes the parts that they love about what they do and it accelerates and accentuates those pieces because sure. the rest of it is being handled. So right. they actually are tapping into their passion in a, in a way a little bit more. So it's, it's really interesting. Yeah, I think a lot of times you think about like, as I always t- love talking about writers because writers, it's an easy one to, to kind of uh, equate to AI technology changing the world. Yeah. But I love the fact that when you hit, get a nice little hook or something clever, a, a play on words and alliteration or whatever, that stuff is not being kicked out by AI right now. Huh. And that's the part that makes writers kind of clever and fun. But the stuff of like, you know, give me a top 10 list of the most important, you know, widgets for the fill in the blank industry or right, whatever like right. in 2023, like that kind of a blog is easy for AI to write 90% of. Yeah. But making it clever in the fun, in the beginning, uh, adding the right pictures to it, stuff like that. You know, even though there are AI picture creators now, they're usually those don't create pictures that you look at and think that looks natural. Right. Usually it's something that looks like it's made in a computer. Right. You know, and so you have to be really good at that too. So anyway, I digress. The point is, you I think it's a huge opportunity for most people 
in the marketing field especially, if you know how to leverage it, it right. gives you a huge plus over a competitor. And there are technical aspects to it, and then there are the subjective or sure. or the the more talent required. That is, there's always going to have to be some part human, some part machine right. that tie into whether it's marketing, whether it's M and A, uh, whether it's human resources. We see it where we're able to work with the due diligence piece and have the complex legal contract the size and scope of the deal, a lot of the financials, uh, a lot of the work that needs to go in the data room, all of that can be assessed, generated, and put through an AI process. But you still have to have the human element Mm -hmm. to be able to say, okay, here's what you need to do with the information. Here's how you take a plan and create a succession plan around leaders of this org structure Mm -hmm. that this AI is recommending we do because it's canvassed 100 other companies that are your size scope. And then it's also created models looking at where's your company going to be in two or three years and it's built almost like a gap org chart. You still have to have the human touch and human element to be able to come in and say, how do you implement that? How do you find and go recruit the people? How do you onboard and assimilate them? So AI takes away the time and the the accelerates the speed to those decisions, but you still need extra guidance and support. And that's what I'm hearing you say too yeah. with the writers and the talent. It can do a lot of the writing, but they still need to have their flair, their touch to make it their actual product in the end. Yeah, and understand the brand you're writing for. Yeah. There's always a brand voice. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you want to make sure that every single brand is represented correctly yeah. and doesn't sound like a totally different company because AI wrote it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. yeah you don't want it to sound like that at all. Right. right. So where do you see your future and Dream Factory, aside from AI, Where what's next for you? I think the biggest thing is uh, markets are changing really fast after COVID. Yeah. So a lot of different, like you were talking about M&A before we started on the, the podcast. When you look at the M&A world, a lot of things come down to consolidation. So when you're in a high inflationary environment, we have a lot of acquisitions going on mm-hmm. where you know companies are trying to, to find a way to get into new markets with, uh, with partnerships and mm-hmm. acquisitions. So what we're trying to do is do a better job of kind of leveraging what we do for our clients as well. Okay. We're always trying to, we're kind of like the guinea pigs. So we'll get like a new program, a new system, and uh, we're really big on account-based marketing. So okay. we have a, a number of campaigns going where we're targeting the exact people and the exact companies with the exact messaging that we want to push to them uh, on brand and on time and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then what we're trying to really focus on when it comes to that is also trying to find out how to get the long-term clients. We have a lot of clients we've had for like 10, 15 years, and it, we're like the outsourced marketing department for yeah. them. And so we're we're super efficient when it comes to implementation of of change okay we don't have to go through you know 50 different people to get something done typically we're pretty fast when it comes to trying things out and so a lot of our clients lack that because they're just big and they they have a few people in marketing that are really capable Hmm. but again they already have jobs yeah and so the hardest part whenever you're an agency walking through the door is saying hey we're you know the change agents and everyone's like oh god here it comes (laughs) again you know and what am I what am I going to have to do now? Yeah. I, I'm already working 12 hours a day, only getting paid for eight. Yeah. Like there's a lot of that going on right now. And so we're trying to find companies where we can uh, alleviate the pressure mm-hmm. and give them a ton more capabilities mm-hmm. and focus. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's really the fun of what we do on the side of uh, other tech besides AI. I think it's really interesting when 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 companies change, typically there's always a fight on the tech stack side of like, what are we going to go with? Who's changing what? And mm-hmm. so. Being in the room for that and talking about where the advantages are to going one way or the other yeah. is also a place that we, we add a lot of value. So that's another place that we're starting to kind of productize a little bit yeah. and um, have some offerings for people for that. So how you talked a little bit about the future and how COVID changed the way businesses have operated, right? Talked about consolidation, yeah. a lot of change management. 
there's talk of there might might not be a recession coming, right? right? How do you see the economic headwinds impacting not just you, but obviously your customers, because your mm -hmm. customers are all over the place, all, meaning they're all yeah. different industries, all different sizes. What are you sensing and feeling as it relates to that? I don't think there's ever any problem right now with capital. I think yeah. there's plenty of capital in the sidelines, plenty of, especially private capital still. And so what we're seeing a lot are people being a little bit gun shy, mm -hmm. but it's not gun shy in the sense of like they don't want to spend money. Right. They want to make sure that if they do, that there's still like, for example, in a company that maybe needs metals to sell, mm -hmm. can we get enough metal to sell? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got a client right now that literally had a time when they couldn't find any more, you know, wow. and they would, their problem was searching for where are we going to find the raw materials right. to then offer as a finished product to the client after we work on it. Right. Same thing in the plastics industry. We had a whole glut for, for a year and a half trying to get stuff out of various places because it's a very uh, internationalized business model sure, where, yeah. where it's made all around the world and you're trying to find a way to get it here to distribute it to companies. And so I think for us, like it doesn't really matter. Like a recession is overplayed in the media because what is a recession? Mm -hmm. It's just a, it's that. Well, if it's still trending, it's still going to keep going. Like it yeah. doesn't make any sense. Like why would you make a big deal about a little dip? It's a it's a it's an adjustment period. Yeah. You know, and so when you have low unemployment and you have high inflation, you have all these different things that are a little bit different mm -hmm. than what they've been before. People are always going to over overreact. Yeah. So for us I, I, as an agency, I, I had a, a really good uh, friend of mine tell me one time, he goes, what percentage of the market do you have? You know, and I was like, well, out of all B2B like 1%, he goes, so you have a 99% opportunity for growth. <laughs> and love I love, that. I love thinking of things that way. Yeah. Cause it's, it, it, it's intrinsically hopeful. Yeah. Right? It's exactly, like, yeah. I, I could, I could be, I could double my business tomorrow and it wouldn't matter if it was going into recession. I could triple it tomorrow. It wouldn't matter if it goes into depression. Like it doesn't matter really to us as an agency yeah. at our size, because being a kind of more of a boutique agency, get five or six really nice clients and yeah. you know it's we've we've exploded in in revenue and then so. you've, you've still you versus you dream factory versus yeah. dream factory you still have then been able to see incremental growth even if the oh, economy yeah. is moving shifting shaping a little bit the Some optimization make, is yeah. easy I yeah mean, it's it, when you talk about the changes like it's it's amazing how when a client has to change the way they do business there's nothing better for a marketing agency because we can take that and we can create campaigns around it to very quickly point in new directions. Mm -hmm. So we love that kind of stuff. And so a lot of times it comes down to like, how fast do they want it changed and, and how do we time it up with their behind the scenes programs? Because most of the time it comes down to training, right? Yeah. It's like, are, are your people ready for the change? Yep. Because we're always ready. Like, let's, you know, let's be honest. Like we just, you change up the marketing, you change up a little bit, do a couple more research pieces, make sure that you're focusing it correctly. And at the end of the day, roll it out and, and, and A-B test like crazy. That psychological adaptation hardest, that they have to go through in that part. change process, yeah. right? Yeah, because no one ever wants to change in general. Right. They feel comfortable. Yeah. But then when you're able to show them an ROI from it, yeah. like, wait, we're making more money? Okay, now okay, I really Okay, now I'm good change. with that. Now I'm good, I see. Any more change for me? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure having you on. Thanks, I appreciate Kay. all the information, especially the riveting Anytime. conversation around AI. I think it's really fascinating where it's headed. And it is I am... I'm, I'm really excited to see what it does for your business and ours as well. Awesome. So, thank see you. See you Jim. next time. All right. Thanks, Gary.